Should Christians need to know how to do apologetics or defend our faith, or should we just stick to teaching about Jesus Christ? Well, I want to welcome you to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the founder and president of Creation Training Initiative. And with me today is a guest, Roger Patterson, and you are a former high school biology and chemistry teacher. Yep. Um, I spent about eight years in uh, the public school system in Wyoming teaching uh, high school chemistry and biology. So that's my, my main background and training there. Were you a, a Bible believer back then, a Christian? Um, not for a good portion of, of the time I was teaching. Actually, for uh, several years, um, I was pretending to be a Christian and uh, stringing a lot of people along. Uh, but I was, it was later that God saved me, and uh, it was after that that I really changed my teaching philosophy and thinking about things from a biblical perspective and uh, going from an evolutionary mindset, which I had really been trained in in, uh, in college, to a biblical young earth creation mindset uh, in a very short amount of time, but no, so not the whole time. I want to add a little bit of that you say a biblical mindset, but also I would say a real science mindset too. Sure. Um, when, I, when I came out of university, one of the things that really bugged me was um, after, after I was saved and started reading the Bible and understanding things, um, I, I realized that a lot of the things that my professors were telling me, I was just buying as as assumptions and not really asking how they could think those how they knew those things were true, and there were there were so many assumptions that I realized as I started uh, studying resources from places like ICR and Answers in Genesis and and other groups. I, I realized that the the scientific background that I had was actually a, a lot of it was kind of false because uh, I thought I was the um, the discerner of truth through empirical science and that science was going to be the, the vehicle to help me understand the world and I was going to um, be able to uncover all these truths because of uh, this objective means of determining truth. Uh, but really, I, I figured out, no, it was just a different worldview, uh, a naturalistic worldview that I'd been trained in. Now listen, all your college time and all your being taught in biology and chemistry, you were never really taught how to critically analyze what you were being taught? Uh, they're really, they they say that, and in the again the standards for the science um, objectives and things that I was teaching to, that critical thinking word was there a lot. But it really was a one-sided critical okay. thinking because it was really focused on um, naturalism, only allowing natural explanations for things, so excluding God from the picture right out of the right out of the gate, and. Um, really from a, a uniformitarian philosophy that things happen gradually and slowly and, and we, can't, um, we can't expect things in the past to have happened any differently than they do today. So no, it's a very one-sided type of no, critical thinking. It's not thinking. really what we call free thinking. No, it certainly <laughs> was not. It was directed thinking. Well, you've left the teaching profession and what caused, and where did you go and what caused you to leave ultimately? Well, um, I had been teaching there in Wyoming uh, for a little over eight years, and uh, I was kind of getting uncomfortable figuring one of these days I'm going to get fired because uh, I was I was a, a bit more open in my teaching, uh, willing to talk to the kids about... Now you were teaching real science. Yes. That'll get you in trouble. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to help them understand some of the things that I had come to learn about those assumptions and 
and so I knew that at some point I, a public school career probably wasn't going to be compatible uh, with with the way I wanted to um, present that truth to the students anymore. So I figured, well, I, I'd build a lot of houses so I could do that if I got fired. But then this job, um, my wife saw this job uh, come up on the Answers in Genesis website. And so it was for a curriculum writer. And I had done some work with the State Department in Wyoming, uh, working with curriculum development and standards development and assessment systems. So I had a, a pretty solid background in that. And so uh, we applied for the job at Answers in Genesis and God thought it'd be a good idea for me to move from the majestic mountains of Wyoming <laughs> to, to Kentucky where there are a couple of hills. Here. Okay. <laughs> so you work full time at Answers in Genesis. And what's your job there now? Um, my current position is a, a curriculum writer and editor. So I work in the curriculum resources department um, doing a lot of book projects and um, online education. I developed an online education program we have there at Answers in Genesis. Um, right now I'm currently working on a Sunday school curriculum called Answers Bible Curriculum. Uh, that's one of my main projects as well as lots of magazine writing and other things and I'm also part of the uh, editorial review board that uh, tries to keep a handle on all of the, the uh, resources coming in and out of the ministry to make sure everything stays uh, on the same level and, and uh, good quality resources. A couple of things out of there. You mentioned online, you helped put that together. How would, is that for like high school and above? Yeah, um, we have a, a Foundations in Creation Apologetics course, which is intended to be for anybody high school and up. We kind of set an age about 16 would be an appropriate age on up and we've had 80-year-old grandmothers joining in the class uh, trying to learn some of these things as well. Now how would they get a hold of that? How would they look, find out more information on that? Um, the best place would be to go to um, Answers in Genesis website, just AnswersInGenesis.com and uh, there's a little button that says Education and they can find it there or in the online bookstore there'll be a okay. spot they can find that. And also with your background in biology and chemistry and curriculum development, you've actually written several books and we happen to have one here. And this is quite a popular book called Evolution Exposed. Mm -hmm. And tell me a little bit what's in that book. Well, I, I kind of view that book as some of my penance for <laughs> the false teaching that I had uh, promoted uh, teaching evolution in the biology classroom. Uh, what we did is we took it started out with the three most popular biology textbooks and I spent um, an untold number of hours <laughs> reading through every page of those uh, looking for any hint of unbiblical teaching or evolutionary teaching, anything that would be uh, contrary to a biblical worldview um, and flagged all those. So as you, as you look at this picture here on the cover you can see all these little sticky notes sticking out of the book and, and those are the actual books they took photos of. Uh, so the point there was to take these resources that the students are using in the classroom all the time. So we know that there are a large percentage of Christian students in the public schools. Mm -hmm. uh, it's to give them a resource to be able to open up their textbook and compare what's in their textbook to what the Bible teaches. And so the book's organized uh, by different topics where uh, if you're talking about human evolution, for example, there's a section in the book on the origin of humans and it'll it'll point to the ideas in the textbook and show how they have that evolutionary view and then give you a biblical explanation uh, so that the students have that 
um, solid background information they can use to evaluate those claims that they're hearing in the science classroom. And also, I've been through the book several times. I've actually used some of the pieces you've in here on our website and other places. You also point out where some of the science is really not what we really know for sure. In other words, it's assumptions and innuendos and mm -hmm. basically coercion into a type of belief system. Yeah. Um, for example, back to the human evolution in the, in the textbooks, um, not too long ago, they used to have these nice branching diagrams where you'd see all the connections between uh, these different species of hominid ancestors and how they're related. Uh, so you get a lot of that type of information. Um, what they've gone to now, instead of the trees, they've just put lines with connecting the dots <laughs> and, and leaving a bunch of those, those things open to interpretation, but still insisting that uh, that's where those creatures came from, that they must have evolved over long periods of time. So if um, a family has uh, someone getting ready to go into high school, they should get a book like this so they can see what's true and what's not true in these biology textbooks, what they're going to be going through in that biology classroom, usually what, ninth grade? Um, yeah, those so are ninth grade. Ninth or tenth so grade they will be prepared to know what's true and what's not, maybe even to come up and start asking some good questions, some critical thinking questions, and then get a hold of this at Answers in Genesis, is that correct? Yes. Go to the Answers in Genesis website and go to the bookstore. And also, um, a couple years after that, we decided to do an Earth Science edition. So we have both the Biology edition and the Earth Science edition available. And it's well organized. Format. I like it's well organized. So again, there's someone with the background in the school system, chemistry and biology, and curriculum design, writing some books that will help your children be aware of what they're going to be taught that's not really true. Now, you mentioned another word in there as we were talking, something called apologetics. Now, I just got to say this. I'm so sorry. Is that what that means? <laughs> no. Um, that's, that's a common misunderstanding. When we talk about Christian apologetics, we're not talking about apologizing for our faith um, in the popular sense. Uh, the, the word comes from, um, typically we think of 1 Peter 3.15 has this phrase that we're always ready to be given, are always to be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have in us. Um, I think that, uh, that phrase in there as we think about it, is where we get our, our concept of apologetics, that defense of the faith. So we think of it more as uh, presenting a case in a courtroom or something along those lines, where we're um, giving that reasoned defense that backs up what we believe. Because we know that as Christians, our faith isn't a blind faith. It's a faith in the God who has created the universe and revealed himself to us in Scripture. Now. Isn't that more for just the intellectuals? I've got to ask these questions now because a lot of people have not done apologetics because it's really not taught in the churches and very few Christian schools teach this. Well, um, is that something we should really know how to do? <laughs> we think about, well, let's go look at the passage for a second. Okay. Let's, let's not just bounce around here. If we think about the, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, um, we have this, this letter that Peter's writing to the Christians who are spread all over uh, as they're facing various persecutions. And the, the context of the passage is really talking about suffering for your faith. And uh, let's, let's read this, this section starting in verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 
having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So the context of the passage has nothing to do with elite Christians. It's, it's a passage that, Paul, that Peter's writing to all these Christians in this situation. So to say that only um, elite Christians or mature Christians should be ready to give a defense for their faith is not something we'd find in that passage. So when somebody says, I don't need to learn apologetics, that's being rather unbiblical, isn't it? It really is. Now, we don't need to learn every apologetic right. argument in every field and in every area, uh, but we should at least be prepared as Christians to say, yes, we have answers. And I think one of the, one of the most important things when we're talking to an, an unbeliever or a skeptic who really doesn't trust uh, God, who doesn't believe the Bible is, is accurate, uh, is to be willing to acknowledge that sometimes we don't know the exact answer and um, be able to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that one, but I'm sure there's a good answer to it. Let me do some research, find out an answer, and then get back to them. And that's a great way to establish a rapport with that person and, and make a follow-up connection with them. And then when you don't know the answer to a question about DNA, well, how, did the, how does the uh, chimp DNA compare to human DNA? You don't know the exact answer to that. We have lots of great resources in ministries uh, like your ministry, like ICR, like Answers in Genesis, uh, who can provide solid answers for those things. Okay. And then you can follow up with that. On person. the Answers in Genesis website, they have a thing called Answers, and you can get answers. There's thousands of papers out yes. there, and they're all free to access, aren't yes. they? Yes, lots of, um, I'm, the number's well over 6,000 articles uh, covering all types of different topics, and lots of even video resources yes. from little 10-minute sections to long, long videos that explain all of those things. And I hope everybody got the, the word I said there. It's all free, free access, all these articles. So you don't have to go looking everywhere. Go to the Answers in Genesis website, go to their answers, and all these articles, and they're categorized for you. Yeah, they've just done a huge website redesign, actually. Um, and you can go to, if you've got questions about radiometric dating, there's a section for that. You can go to the section on DNA and talk about those differences or uh, different human ancestors and all kinds of different things. Or just things like, how long were the days of creation? A sure. lot of people seem to have a question. Some people don't even think that matters. And that's an apologetics issue right there. It too, truly is. Um, and, <clears throat> and all of those things, um, as we're thinking about apologetics in the passage that I just read, we have to remember that our apologetics is, is aimed at giving a reason for the hope that we have. If we think about the way that, that Peter phrases that passage, he's directing us not to necessarily use that answer just for the sake of answering the question, but so that we can take that answer and direct that person to the gospel. Because the hope that I have is not in a young earth, I'm not saved because the earth is young. Um, the hope that I have is not in uh, understanding how radiometric dating works. All those things are important and they can be very helpful in answering people's questions and breaking down defenses and those types of things. But ultimately, if we're not pointing people to the hope that we have in Christ, our, our apologetics efforts are in vain. So are you relating apologetics to evangelism here? Absolutely. <laughs> if I had to describe it, I would say they are two sides of the same coin. And when we think about uh, offering 
offering a reason for the hope that is in us, that hope is Jesus Christ. And, and Peter directs us to do that with meekness and fear, that we're, we're offering these answers and telling, telling these people who are asking, I believe these things and here's why. And it doesn't really um, get us very far if we're just convincing somebody that the, these rock layers are, are of this age versus this age. Uh, there's, there's no hope in trusting in rock layers. Um, the only thing that we can, we can find our hope in is in Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's about taking those apologetics conversations and being wise and transitioning them into gospel conversations where we can talk about um, the state of that person's soul and, and their relationship to Jesus Christ. Somebody, some, when somebody comes up and says, oh, wait a minute, Roger, shouldn't we just be preaching about Jesus? I say amen to that because the whole Bible's about him, isn't sure, it? Sure, absolutely. And he used apologetics. Absolutely. Um, we think about uh, a passage like when Jesus is asked about marriage and, and divorce. Uh, he refers back to Adam and Eve who were created at the beginning to give a solid foundation for why marriage is meant to be one man for one woman for a lifetime. And so even, even when we look at the way Jesus uses those things, he's pointing out the truths of Scripture and that historical foundation. Um, if Adam and Eve were not real people who have a real historical identity that we read about in Genesis, then we don't have a, an explanation for why there is sin in the world, why there is death in the world. Why do we even need a Savior? So apologetics, the whole field of apologetics relates right back to what you're saying, the hope, which is Jesus Christ. So somebody's saying, just preach Jesus. They're saying, let's do apologetics, aren't they? <laughs> That's exactly right. I like right. that reasoning. Yeah. And there's another word. Over and over in the Bible says, Paul reasoned with them. And the word is what? Apologia there? Yes. Yeah, that, same, that same idea. Um, we think about uh, Paul going to the synagogues as he traveled around, and he would reason with them from the scriptures. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when he goes to uh, Athens, he reasoned with them in the, from the scriptures in the synagogues, and then he went to the marketplace. And when Paul gets called to uh, go to see the philosophers up on Mars Hill, if you look at the phrasing there in Acts 17, um, probably around verse 10 or 12, it says that they, they called him there because he was preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. And they thought he was crazy for talking about people rising from the dead. And so when Paul's called there, he's, he's given a reasoned explanation. He goes back to creation. He says, this is the God who has created everything. And in him, we move and live and have our being. So unless you take the Bible literally in the creation account, you, your apologetics is missing there, isn't it? Yeah, you're, you're losing your whole foundation because you have... You have no basis upon which to build that history. Oh, for a good reason, for the mm -hmm. hope. Now, with your background, I want to get to this point here. I would like to sh share with the audience, how do you do a practical example? Suppose somebody comes up, they know your background, they know you work at Answers in Genesis. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, well, what about DNA? How do you evangelize when somebody asks you a question <laughs> about DNA? Um, well, Typically, it's a question like, well, why do we have different races of people then? Or, or why is chimp DNA so similar to human DNA? Um, those are, let's take the chimp and human comparison. First of all, it'd be Should we worth, have a banana here too? <laughs> no, we don't need a okay. banana. Okay. Um, first of all, 
when we think about those numbers, we often hear that chimp DNA is 98% similar to human DNA. Well, that's just absolutely false. Um, they're leaving out huge sections when they do those comparisons. So knowing that that's a false claim and uh, recognizing that uh, current, even secular scientists now are, are beginning to come to the conclusion that, well, it's really more like 70% similar. And that's not all that similar when we think about the billions of base pairs that are, that are in uh, a complement of chromosomes. But we think about um, that idea of our, our evolution versus creation, and that can naturally take us into a discussion about the creator and a proclamation of, uh, I know that you believe that an, this ape-like creature evolved and some of them became chimps and some of them became humans and diverged in these different ways. And you think that these, these DNA similarities can, can explain that. And there's, there's some, um, some possibility that, that that could be right, but I think you're missing a, a huge perspective on this. First, you can, you can talk about some of the scientific aspects and the assumptions that we began talking about. You're assuming that these mutation rates are happening at the same rate. You're assuming that this fossil is related to this fossil in various ways. So there are a lot of scientific assumptions. Um, but I would very quickly uh, try to steer the conversation to the fact that there is a creator and that because we have a creator God, he has made us, as humans, very distinct from chimps. And in Genesis 1, we read about how God created man in his own image. So as humans, uh, we're created with all types of different faculties and abilities that chimpanzees don't have. And uh, that's, a, uh, that's a clear mark of our being created by God. Have you ever seen a chimp make a nice chocolate chip cookie? No, never so. have. So we've got something they can't do. They can poke a stick in a hole and get some ants out and eat them. Uh, but but we have, uh, we've been given this ability by God to reason and to think and to um, have emotions that we can control and have forethought and planning and all of these different aspects uh, that, that point to uh, our design of, as special creations of God. And we can proclaim that as true and say, here's what the Bible says. And we don't have to apologize for that. Right. We, can, we can proclaim that truth confidently, knowing that it is, it is what God has revealed to us as truth. So what you're telling us, you don't have to be a scientist to do this. You don't have to get into the real deep scientific discussions. But if you understand a little bit about critical thinking, mm -hmm. just some surface level science information, and know how to take that discussion back to God's word, his, he's the creator, and back to the salvation message. Yeah. That's what we need to be doing as Christians, and mm -hmm. that's what you're telling us here. And, and, and then we continue with that. If, if we are all created in God's image and, and we're all fallen, as we read about in Genesis, then we're all in need of a Savior. Let me tell you about that Savior. Yeah. God promised that Savior would come, and eventually in the person of Jesus Christ, He did. And He died on the cross and bore our sins. And when we repent and trust in that for our salvation, we can have that eternal life and, and a, restored, a restored relationship with God through that. Well, we've been talking with Roger Patterson from Answers in Genesis, a former high school biology and chemistry teacher and very deep into curriculum design. He's written a book again called Evolution Exposed. He's written another book. What was the other book? The other one's just the Earth Science. Earth version. Science. And you can get these from Answers in Genesis. And I would recommend parents get these books. You can read through them. They're not rocket science. 
but they'll give you an awareness of what your children are going to go through, the anti-biblical teachings that is taking place in our state-run schools and universities. So, Roger, thank you very, very much for coming on. If you had any, anything else to say here, you'd like to wrap it up, or I'll do that. Um, just, I would just encourage everybody to, to be intentional about uh, taking those opportunities that God gives us to um, answer questions and, and interact with people and relate to them and, and steering those conversations to the gospel. And as you said in 1 Peter 3.15, the last part of it, 1 Peter 3.15, let's do this with gentleness and respect. Let's be a good witness for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you and God bless all of you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear.